G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au That was the original plan, was to be part of that local ministry. And then a month after moving there, we found out that it was corrupt. So I was saying to God, I was like, God, I know that I heard your voice clearly tell me to go, but now this has happened, like what's going on? And so 17 kids moved into my house and it was literally just me calling back to Australia to family and friends saying, help, I've got all these kids. And from nothing, God has just created this amazing ministry. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scatterbo. That's the music of the 100% Hope Choir, and we have a special treat for you today, Trishel Sayuni, who is the founder of that ministry, along with some of the leaders of that choir are with us. Welcome to the program, Trishel Sayuni. Thank you very much for having us. Also joining us, George and Tina. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much for having us. Glad to have you with us, and you are, as I mentioned, the leaders of the 100% Hope Choir, so we hope to talk with you a little bit later. But first, we want to go all the way back to the beginning and find out how, Trishel, you were growing up in Dubbo, a country girl, yes, and then you end up being the founder of a ministry in the middle of Uganda. So we want to find out this story. Yeah, so I grew up in Dubbo, born and bred, and for me, when I was five years old, I remember knowing at five years old that I was going to be a missionary. Really? And I didn't know which country. No, just had just knew that that was around the time that I gave my life to God. And yeah, just knew from that young age that I was called to missions. And that's why it led me to go into teaching because I really um, felt that God wanted me to go into teaching to make a difference uh, with education and to break that poverty cycle through education. Wow. So now some people have an idea of what they want to do at a young age, but then they get distracted by the cares of the world or high school years. But it sounds like you stayed on course. Yeah. When I was 12, I remember going to a youth camp out at Gilgandra and it was there that I heard God's voice clearly for the first time. And God said to me clearly, you need to make a decision. And God said, you can choose to live a comfortable life, still go to heaven but it will be a different reward or you can choose this crazy adventure that I've planned for you. It's going to be difficult, but you'll get great treasure in heaven. And so I made a decision at 12 to go on that crazy adventure with God. And when I made that decision, God said to me two things, don't ever date and don't drink alcohol, which I stuck to. Oh, wow. Yeah. At 12 years old. And you mentioned the term crazy adventure. 
And I think that describes it pretty well, don't you think? <laughs> yes, it has definitely been <laughs> well, a very get crazy to adventure. Some of the craziness that has come eventually, but let's uh, let's fast forward to you finish high school. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? Finished high school, went over to England for a year, nannying, travelled around a bit, did all of that. Came back to Dubbo, which I always said I'd never go back to Dubbo, but God had different <laughs> ideas. Came back to Dubbo for four years and did my teaching degree at Charles Sturt Uni. And then from there, I uh, did my internship up at the Gold Coast at King's Christian College and then got offered a job. And so worked there for the next six years. And during that time, got involved in the sport of dragon boating. Now, wait, before you get into this wonderful topic of dragon boat <laughs> racing, which I never even heard of, all this time you're teaching, did you still have that dream in the back of your mind of being a missionary? Yeah, I definitely knew, but I just didn't know the timing with mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually at the end of my teaching degree, I went over to South Africa on my first missions trip. And it was there that God gave me a dream. And I don't usually dream. So it was actually the first dream that I ever remember, have remembered. And God showed me uh, it was pitch black and I was walking through. It was just like a desert land. And there was a pinprick of light. And as I was walking towards the light, it got a little bit clearer. And there were dead bodies lying everywhere. And I could see that they were African bodies. And eventually I got to where it was really light. And there was a big gate and a fenced off area. And across the top it said City of Hope. And when I pushed open the gate in my dream, then everything changed. And so there was a children's home, there was a school, church, medical clinic, playgrounds, and God said to me, this is what I've called you to do. Wow. And what what age was that? That's my last year of uni. can't even remember. (laughs) 2006. Mm -hmm. Wow. So throughout your life, God is tugging your heart and giving you little kind of signals. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Even when I was living in England for that year, I got involved in the South African church. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely like God has put different African things across my path. But growing up in Dubbo, it wasn't like you watched a bunch of African movies or something. No, I didn't know from a young age exactly where it was that God was calling me. Yeah. Um, And even when I had that dream, I knew it was Africa, the continent, but didn't know exactly Mm -hmm. which country. Okay. Now let's get to that fascinating topic of dragon boat racing. What in the world is that? I had never heard of that before. What is that? So dragon boat racing, there's it's basically like a big canoe mm-hmm. and you can have either ten paddlers or twenty paddlers. That's sitting. a group sport. Yeah, and then you have someone at the back that steers the boat and then you have someone at the front that drums and that makes the rhythm to which you stroke to or paddle to. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved in that? Um, I'd actually had two ankle surgeries. I've always grown up in a sporty family mm-hmm. and I was like, I can't keep playing touch footy and tennis and these things that keep wrecking my ankles. So when I was up at the Gold Coast, um, I was actually just walking by and someone approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in joining their team. So a year later, I was in the Australia team. So Wow. Yeah. And then uh, you were invited to go to a competition in Prague? Yeah, so qualified for world championships in wow. the Australia team. So you didn't just kind of get involved and you went right to the top. <laughs> I'm kind of like an all or nothing person. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when I sign up for something, it's 100%. Wow. So what happened when you went there? So yeah, so I went to my first world championships in Prague in 2009 and we got seventh overall. 
and it was a really great experience and then decided to tack on a missions trip to Uganda on the end of it, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, there's a little swing south from there. <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't even have time to Google the country, so I knew nothing about Uganda. What, what made you pick that out of the hat? But um, the church that I'd gotten involved in, King's Church up at the Gold Coast, mm-hmm. one of the elders there was supporting a local ministry oh, okay. in Uganda. So they'd never had anyone that had gone over. So I, I put my hand up and went over. And then 20 minutes after getting out of the airport, got held up at gunpoint in oh riots for seven hours. So didn't even get out to the village that we were meant to get to um, until the next morning. We had to hole up in a brand new hotel. And yeah, so that was our welcome to Uganda. Oh, so you were okay. Yeah, obviously, oh, okay. I'm here. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> it all ended well. It just... all ended well. I'd actually just said to my driver, you know, is Uganda relatively safe? And he's like, yes, yes, very safe. And then there we are, held oh, up boy. at gunpoint. Um, and I remember clearly actually, like, hiding in the car. So I'm laying back, reclined, trying to stay out of sight because there mm. were a lot of youths rioting. And um, God said to me, I want you to sing. And I was like, God, you're crazy. Like, I need to be invisible at the moment. I want you to sing. Yeah. I would say, God, <laughs> are you sure about that? <laughs> yeah, literally. And so um, so I started, like, just singing some worship songs very quietly under, under my breath. But as I started singing, the peace of God just filled the car. And even though mm. I didn't know how I was going to get out of it, I just knew that God had it and it was all under control. So so I, I'm having trouble picturing this. So you're in a car that's being held up. Yeah. Is it just your car or a number of cars? Or? There are a number of cars. So they stopped us at a petrol station and they put tyre barricades all across the roads. Um, they were lighting them. They were glassing everywhere, breaking down buildings. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, there was a man at my window with a gun, shotgun trained on me. Oh, wow. So, How'd you get out of that? Um, the army actually came through and knocked down all the barricades and the soldiers came out, just started shooting their machine guns. And that's when the guy that was on me fled. And then my driver came back because I didn't know at the time. He told me he was just going to look for a safe place. But um, the youths had said to him, if you don't come and join in the riots, then we're going to take the white woman out of the car and make a spectacle. So he joined in the riots. But then when the army came through, he quickly came back, jumped in the car, and then we were able to tail onto the back of the army truck. This was your introduction? That was my introduction. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I think I'm personally I'm on the next flight out, but <laughs> uh, but that was how it started. Yeah. Then what happened? Uh, so I spent the next three weeks. We got out to the village of Mitiana the next morning, and yeah, just fell in love with the people and the place. And you know when you just have that sense that you've come home, mm. that's just the sense that I had. So yeah. So it, that sense was able to overcome the mind-boggling way that it all started. Yeah, I'm the sort of person that, um, like, when God tells me something, I just want to follow what God has called me to do. Mm. So, I've always been like that. Like, regardless of the cost, I just want to do whatever it is that God's called me to do and let God sort out the rest of it. So, so you had that first experience there. Yeah. Then you go back to the Gold Coast. Went back to the Gold Coast, teaching, still doing dragon boating, all of that. Um, then kept going back year after year to Mitiana in Uganda. And then it was 2012, I was back at the Gold Coast and driving home from my Bible study and God said to me, pull over on the side of the road, which I actually don't know why, but (laughs) he then started talking to me and said, now's the time to go. I want you to finish out the year, fulfill every promise that you've made, quit your job, buy a one-way ticket and move to Uganda. 
Wow. What was it about that village in particular that really grabbed your heart? What was it about that village? Um, I don't know if it was particularly that village. I just knew that's where God had called me. Mm. Yeah. Just had that peace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know, you've always just got to follow that peace of God mm. wherever he leads you. For this crazy adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is already sta- sounding pretty crazy already. That was just the beginning of the crazy. <laughs> well, let's continue then. What happened? You buy a one-way ticket, so yeah. you're dedicated. <laughs> so... My question to God when he told me that, because I'm a 10-year planner and I like to have everything organized, which God knows, um, I said to God, how long am I going for? God said, I'm not telling you. Go until I tell you otherwise. So even to this day, God hasn't told us how long we're there for. So Mm. we're there until he tells us something different. So quit my job as a teacher, much to my parents' dismay, <laughs> and uh, bought the one-way ticket, packed my life down to two suitcases, and made the move over to Uganda. Our guest today is Trishel Sayuni, who is the founder of 100% Hope. It's a ministry located in Uganda that partners with poverty-stricken communities to promote the spiritual, economic, and physical well-being of orphaned and underprivileged children. Also with us today in the studio is George and Tina, who are the leaders of the 100% Hope Choir. When we return, we'll find out how a baby named Hope captures Gishel's heart. All that and more when we return right here on Real Faith. Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au You're listening to Real Faith. Conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and our guest today is Trishel Sayuni, who is the founder of 100% Hope, which is a ministry in Uganda that is dedicated to providing a future and a hope to underprivileged children. Also with us today are the leaders of the 100% Hope Choir, George and Tina. They're patiently waiting along and listening to Trishel share her story. Now, before the break, we heard how Trishel sold everything and bought a one-way ticket to serve at a ministry in Uganda. Unfortunately, when she arrived, things did not go exactly as she had planned. That was the original plan, was Mm -hmm. to be part of that local ministry. And then a month after moving there, we found out that it was corrupt, which was another shock in itself. Oh, wow. So I was saying to God, I was like, God, I know that I heard your voice clearly tell me to go. But now this has happened. Like, what's going on? I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. You told me to quit my job. Now what's happening? God just said, just sit. You'll see what's going to happen. And within a week of that, like, we obviously had to separate because we couldn't be part of the corruption. Mm. And we had 60 kids turn up on our doorstep. And that began 100% hope in Uganda. God just said, start from scratch. Give these kids a future and a hope. Now, that sounds easy, start from scratch. Where, <laughs> I, I would have no idea where to begin. I mean, you need finances, you need a, a building. What did you do? So I had two local friends who were there. So I was staying in a two-room place, local room. And so 17 kids moved into my house. 
and the other kids we split amongst my two friends and it was literally just me calling back to Australia to family and friends saying, help, I've got all these kids, uh, we need sponsors, etc. And, yeah, God's just from nothing. God has just created this amazing ministry. Wow. Then what happened? So it was about three months after I'd moved there. Mm-hmm. And we'd just bought our first five acres of land. And wow, the, things are just coming along. Yeah. Wow. And the government um, actually approached us and asked us to go and check out this baby's home. You're saying us? Who's all? Oh, with my local friends. So we'd registered as 100% Hope in Uganda. So we had our team going there and we were also registered back in Australia with our board as well. Man, this just all came... I mean, did you even know how to do all this stuff? No, God just provided the right people at the right time, as he does. Wow. So, different people just came on board, volunteers here in Australia, and yeah, just were able to get everything up and going. And three months after that, the government said, can you go um, to this baby's home and see whether you can help it out? Because it's in a bit of a bad way. Mm -hmm. And so, my local friend Deborah and I, we went there. And turned up and found 25 children living in cages. Cages? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, they were literally, this family were living inside the nice house, and they had all these babies and toddlers living in the garage with just um, cages stacked on top of each other. And four of them- where did all these babies come from? From the government. So, like, to put it into perspective, the kids were at least alive, and it was better than where they'd come from, Hmm. but still- to my standard and our Australian yes, yes, standard, yes, yes. there's no way that you would ever treat a child like that. Yeah, exactly. So we found four little baby girls. Um, they were just lying together. They were asleep and they were just lying in their filth. The local care worker just sitting there doing nothing to look after them. And when I walked in there, one of the babies opened up her eyes and looked up at me and there was this instant connection. And I suppose you could describe it the way that when you give birth to a child now that I've given birth, when your baby first opens their Mm. eyes, there's that instant mother-daughter connection. And I asked what her name was and they said Wendy, which is my mum's name and not a name that you would hear in Uganda. I've never heard of it ever since. Yeah, it's not a common name you would think of. (laughs) And I was like, God, what are you doing to me? Like remembering that I had 17 kids already living in my two-room house (laughs) and just starting an organisation. I'm a single woman from Australia. Yeah. And uh, went home from there, and God wouldn't let me sleep. I wrestled with God all night, and then God said to me, I want you to take her as your daughter. Very, very clearly, it wasn't foster her, it wasn't adopt her, it wasn't bring her into your organization. It was, she's your daughter, go and get her. And so I called up the director of the place and said, I want to take that baby as my daughter. And they said to me, you need to come over because you don't want that baby. We need to tell you her story. Mm. And so I went there the next morning and they proceeded to tell me how that she was born to a mentally ill woman who lived on the street and who's frequently abused. So um, her other mum couldn't talk, nobody knew her name, nobody knew where she came from, nobody obviously knew the father. And when she was born on the street, um, the mother just covered her in dirt, plastic bags and leaves for the first three days of her Mm. life because that's just the best that she knew how to care for her. And on the third day, the local motorbike drivers gathered together and stole her from the mother and took her into the marketplace where they wanted to sacrifice her because child sacrifice is still quite a big issue in Uganda with all the witchcraft and witch Mm. doctors. And so by sacrificing her, they thought that would make the mother all better, remove the demons from the mother, as they say. So that's when the government finally intervened 
and she was rescued from that. So she's like a real miracle that she's survived those beginning days of her life. So when you had this connection with a baby, it wasn't just any baby. It was one that had this horrific background. Yeah. You had no way of knowing that, of course. No, but God had clearly said to me, she's your daughter. Mm. So the concern of the director was, she's like, you need to know this because she's likely going to have health issues. Mm. She's probably going to have mental issues. You're just starting an organization. Like you really need to know what you're taking on. Exactly. But God said to me clearly, she's your daughter. So I just said to her, you know what? God's told me that that's my daughter. I'll let God take care of the rest. So it took me two weeks to get the government paperwork to sign her out of the baby's home and into my care. And during that two weeks, I took her to get her immunizations at the hospital and found out that her name was registered as Hope Wendy. And our organization was already called 100% Hope. And Hope was the name that I wanted to call my first daughter since oh, I was wow. young. Wow. And I told you that my mum's name's Wendy. So it was a name that I would have picked myself. God oh, had my already goodness. named her for us. And oh. she's now six. So we got her at 10 weeks. Yeah. She's now six and an absolute gun. No health issues, no really? mental issues. Speaks Australian English like me. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, she's a little pocket rocket. Wow. That is fantastic. And then I understand that uh, another relationship came into your life. Yes. There was a handsome man that came on the scene. (laughs) A love story. Okay. This is getting good. (laughs) Everyone likes a good love story. Yes. (laughs) So, three months after taking on Hope, then uh, one of our – well, he was my friend at that stage – and he asked me to pray about us starting a relationship. Now, so, how long had you known him? Um, I first Fred. met Fred in 2009 when I first went there. Mm-hmm. But um, when I w- wanted to walk to the markets back then, they were like, you need to take someone with you. Mm-hmm. So they'd given me Fred as my bodyguard, but he couldn't speak English. Oh, so. Fred was given to you. <laughs> this <laughs> is starting off really wrong. good. <laughs> so he was your bodyguard, though. <laughs> and they said in exchange that I had to teach him English. So I taught Fred English, not knowing that one day he'd be my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so you were friends or acquaintances for a number of years before. Yeah, yeah, but nothing romantic. romantic. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, yeah, so then when he asked me about us praying for three months to start a relationship, um, I knew straight away that he was the one because years earlier, God had said to me, you're not trusting me. And I was like, God, how am I not trusting you? Like, I feel like I've done everything that you've asked me to do. And God said, you've got a list, which was my list of what I wanted in a husband, as most females, Christian females do. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And so I was like, but God, if I don't have that list, how do I know who's the right one? And God said to me, pick your sign and that'll be it. So my sign was... That I asked God is that my husband would ask me to pray. So as soon mm. as Fred asked me that, I'd had different guys that had asked me to go on dates, whatever else, but you remember God had told me not to date. So mm. as soon yep. as Fred asked me that, I knew that he was the one. Wow. So you knew him, as you mentioned, for years, but it wasn't romantic. Yeah, no, just friends. So, so. were you surprised when all of a sudden he asked you to pray about a relationship? Um, yes and no, because... Yes, I didn't really expect to marry a Ugandan, but no in the sense that I just know that God does things way different to what we ever planned. Yep, yep, (laughs) that's for sure. um, And now, like, looking back, you know, in hindsight, I can see why God's put us together because we have very similar visions and he's just the most amazing guy. That's funny. And he was part of the original team for the ministry. Yeah. He was our project manager in the beginning. Wow, how good is that? 
Yeah. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for this first conversation with you. And George and Tina, you've been over here so quietly and patiently waiting. Is it okay if we invite you to come back again next time? Yeah. Yep. No worries, okay. mate. <laughs> no worries, mate. <laughs> oh, we, we got to get to know you a little bit more, George and Tina, and obviously you as well. Jochelle, we'll hear more of your story. So we invite you to come back with us and have another chat next time. Is that going to be all right? Yeah, fantastic. Yes. So this was part one, our first conversation with Trishelle Zayuni. And we're going to find out more about the ministry that she started called 100% Hope. And then also we'll hear from George and Tina from Uganda. They're the leaders of the 100% Hope Choir. Meanwhile, if you want to find out information about that organization, the website is www.100-hope.org. That's 100, the number, hyphen, hope.org. been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.